It's time to delve back into your dark past with America's most cursed podcast, The Pod People. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I ain't got no skin to hold me down. There ain't no skin on me. And I'm Ben Sheets, and I'm just uh, enjoying some naked tendies over here. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good naked tendie? Well, uh, Cleveland is still rolling around in the wet depths of the sponsor shelf somewhere. Uh, so it's a uh, Pod People Classic today, just me and Ben. And we're going to be talking about Ben's pick, which is a, a very interesting one. It's the uh, new um, Indonesian horror film Impedigor, uh, written and directed by Joko Anwar and starring Tara Basro, uh, Ari Obayu, and Marissa Anita. And it's about a young woman who uh, discovers that there is something weird and mysterious about her past and parents, and she has to return to her old village to figure out what that's about. <laughs> yeah, the reason I picked this movie is late last year, I did a lot of trailer hunting for a good curation of the end-of-the-year picks. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it turned out pretty well. But this movie was really on my radar. Um, I saw the trailer, and the style really impressed me. Uh, the, the tone and vibe of it, it really impressed me. And we haven't done much uh, foreign horror lately, you know? Not a ton, a little uh, bit. You know, every once in a while we'll cover something like I Saw the Devil, but... It's uh, this one in particular is interesting because it's a Shutter exclusive in the U.S. and the journey it had to become a Shutter exclusive is really interesting. Uh, Joko Anwar uh, put out a movie before this called Satan's Slaves um, that was also on Shutter and it ended up being one of Shutter's most popular foreign films. Oh, interesting. And uh, so they immediately picked up Impedigore when it came out. And it's actually interesting because Impedigore is actually uh, Indonesia's highest grossing domestic horror movie of all time. Okay, interesting. I can see that. Do you know how much... How what the budget for this movie was? I would be curious. I have no idea. It doesn't seem like it was very much, which uh, is probably for the best. For the yeah, best. yeah. Well, to just jump into it, I guess I think this movie is really interesting because I think stylistically it's really, really well done. Yeah. Um, I think the uh, chemistry between the lead characters is really good. Mm -hmm. And I love the meshing of like classic Indonesian culture with uh, with this very genre film uh, approach. Mm -hmm. It does get a little clunky at times, you know. You can yes. definitely see the 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 mainstream U.S. influence at times, yes, especially later in the movie. But I think very you know, so. you know, the unique elements kind of carry it through and elevate it beyond your standard like conjuring or something of that sort oh yeah 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 yeah. no i agree i think that it's very obviously influenced by like popular american horror i saw some uh conjuring-esque uh flourishes a uh, lot of texas chainsaw references which we'll uh get to as we uh get into the meat of the film but yeah i think it's <sighs> 
I liked this movie. I I think it is kind of clunky, and I think it's a little bit boring at times, but stylistically, it's very eerie, and I I like the characters, and I think the thing that this film does best is the intrigue. Yes. Because they give you so very little to go on that, like, I, I went into this knowing nothing, and I was legitimately... Like, what the fuck is happening here? Like, I was so interested in that. I think that maybe it didn't pull off the reveal in a way that is as good as it could have been, but we'll we'll get into we'll that. We'll get into yeah. that for sure, yeah. I think uh, the intrigue is a really good point. I think the first half of the movie really kind of eases you into the mystery of everything going on. It mm-hmm. feels very much like... I You know, honestly, I, I would almost compare the first half to midsummer in a way in that you know you hmm. uh these characters are brought into a foreign remote environment and they slowly discover kind of the the weirdness of the culture around them and i i found that stuff really compelling i think uh this movie also does a great job of starting off with such a bang with that opening yeah. sequence. Let's talk a little um, bit about that. So the opening starts with, you know, the the two friends, uh, Maya and Dini. Yeah, Dini. Uh, they work at kind of a, a traffic stop. A toll booth. A toll booth, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, they're... They're talking to each other on the phone the whole time, just having small talk. And the the dialogue is really realistic, and it's well done. It, it seems like they're genuinely friends, and uh, they build the characters really well. Um, but there's a creepy guy that always is coming to Maya's toll booth. Right. Um, and she mentions this. And he'll sometimes come back through three or four times in a night mm-hmm. and that he she mentions that he's uh, he's always looking at her like he wants to eat her or something anyway. Yeah. And, uh, you know, while they're talking, uh, he shows up again. He goes through and, you know, she tries her best to ignore him and he stops a little past the toll booth and starts walking back. And he grabs a machete with him. <laughs> well, before before he uh, grabs the machete, he he comes and he asks her her name and uh, if she's from a, a village and if she's the daughter of of someone. Um, and then comes back at her with the machete in a, a very uh, harrowing scene where she's trying she she's locked her little booth to try to keep him out but then when she sees him coming back with the machete she wants to get out and run but then can't unlock the booth (laughs) uh that is very tense and then he he chases her and catches her and notices a scar on the inside of one of her thighs and cuts it open and says something to the extent of, uh, we don't want what your family left behind or something like that and uh, is about to bring the machete down and he gets fucking domed by uh, a security guard who comes, who shows up. Um, so a really great way to like start the film with the bang and be like, okay, what the fuck is this all about? It's so interesting because after that, you know, they very sparsely sprinkle in the horror as you go on. And 
Anwar has kind of a, a mainstream American horror genre sensibility in a lot of ways, uh, in that he will sprinkle in jump scares that don't really amount to much. Yes. Early in the movie. And and fake out uh yes. creepy stuff. Yes. Uh that's why, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That's like the, the a great example of like the American horror aesthetic, uh, especially recently. Uh the example I think of is like when they get to the village and they're in the house and Maya's like looking at all of the pictures and you see down the hall this like hooded spooky figure that's just walking closer and closer and closer to the room as the as the the creepy music swells and then the figure gets right to the door and oh it's it's Deanie who's wrapped herself up in a blanket you know it's yeah. like just all kinds of stuff it's like ooh, this is creepy what's happening and, oh no nothing yeah a lot of psych outs but you know you do get a couple jump scares and little horror bits early on that kind of foreshadow what's to come I don't think they've they're executed the best always. I I think of like the three, the girls, the three little girls, yeah, yeah. that show up uh, outside the bus when it's passing by, and then she sees them again a little ways down the road and like, hey, I just saw those those three girls. And it's like that's not possible. It's one a.m. What are little girls <laughs> doing out in the woods? Yeah, well, I think that kind of stuff is is kind of clunky and hokey. I I do really appreciate the the visual style of a lot of that stuff. I love how dark this movie is. Yeah, um, yeah, it's very atmospheric, especially when you get to the village. Yeah, and even before like in the in the first scene uh when the creepy guy shows up in his car and there's obviously like like red running lights along the bottom of the booth, but the the effect that it has is that it looks like his the inside of his car is like glowing red so he just looks like really spooky and that's the same they do the same kind of thing on the bus like the the forest outside of the bus is red because of like the bus's brake lights so when you see the little girls standing in the woods it's like very creepy and and dark and red i really like that stuff and i think the way they pull the rug out from under you with the first scene makes you uneasy with any strangers in the movie. Yes. Uh, you know, the the dude sitting behind them on the bus is yep. creepy. There's a guy that gets up and walks back towards Maya on the bus that's creepy. Everyone, you know, is creepy because they're a stranger in the right. movie. Right, the, the, implied, the implied threat. It does a really good job of, like, getting you into Maya's headspace. Yeah. She's, like, really our, our, our central perspective for most of the movie. And, yeah, I love that. It's like you can't trust anybody. Except like it's like her and and Dinny, you know, they're the only ones who you know are like cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about the style a little bit more as well. Uh, you know, especially in this remote village, I found the village itself kind of the the centerpiece of this movie mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You know, it's a very remote village with no direct roads to it. Yeah, um, obviously, extremely poor. Extremely poor, no electricity, everything's by candlelight, which gives it such a an orange glow to everything. Obviously done very intentionally, but uh, very effectively as well. I feel like the house they stay in is almost a little bit too creepy. 
You know what I mean? It's like it's like the most haunted house ass haunted house. <laughs> Just like cobwebs on the walls, like overgrown with vines, the bathroom that's got like the big tub that I thought was going to have some kind of creepy payoff that's literally just like tangled up in in dead vines and shit and they're still just using it like it's not a thing <laughs> at all it's like this is like the most fucking spooky ass house yeah. they could have possibly made uh. the, the set design is good it's just like could this house get any spookier <laughs> yeah and they you know uh the whole crux of them going back is maya found a picture of her as a young child with uh, her parents, and there's this really large house behind her. Mm-hmm. So uh, her and Dini are going back to try to see if the house is theirs and claim it, uh, either to live there or to sell it. Um, to try to make some money, yes. yeah. So we, for context, we know or we learn that um, Maya does not remember her parents. She was raised by her aunt, and she's never been to the village where she was born. Um, so it's very, it's not like a homecoming thing for her. It's like very much a fish out of water going into somewhere that she does not know at all and trying to sort of like figure out what her past is based on that. Another important thing we need to mention is early on before they go to the village she is uh, on the toilet and the wound in her leg splits open and she finds a little capsule in her leg that has like a um uh, a little scroll in it that has something written on it but she can't read it because it's in ancient javanese or whatever I did think it was funny that uh, she immediately drops it in the toilet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, she does take a picture of it first uh, to ask the the professor on the bus that they meet, um, who reads uh, Javanese, and tells her that it's a uh, it's like a charm to to protect the person from uh, evil spirits. Yes. So who shoved this little scroll? of evil spirits into her leg when she was a child. Ooh, who knows? One thing I like about the the use of curses and spirits in this movie is it seems very culturally Indonesian in yeah. that no one doubts the existence of curses or evil spirits or anything like that. It's just they believe it exists and it's part of the story and it's not made a big deal of doubting things like you would get in like a ghost right. story in in America it's it's not uh there's never like the the obnoxious skepticism or whatever it's like everything anything supernatural that happens is just kind of accepted at face value which i appreciate that being said not too much supernatural happens until, like, the very, very end. And that was something that I wanted to get your opinion on. We won't get into the details of the ending just yet, but did you feel like it was almost too slow of a burn at the beginning? Like, did you ever find yourself wishing that 
there was like a little bit more like spooky stuff happening to kind of like ease us into uh what becomes a very shit show climax i i actually like the slow burn quite a bit i think the repetition of seeing them carry off coffins every morning yeah yeah worked really well i thought them going to the graveyard and seeing all of these children's gravestones all over the place that kind of stuff is was good yeah, yeah. I, I really liked that kind of world building I, I think there was a lot of subtleties that were really well done and one of the things that helps this uh slow burn quite a bit is this movie's under 90 minutes it's like 88 86 minutes, yeah 86 think, 88 yeah. so it really doesn't overstay its welcome all too much no 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 um, I kind of wish it would have stayed subtle and maybe, you know, maybe sprinkled some more hints on what's to come. Yeah, see, that's that's my thing. I think that for a ghost story, it's very light on ghosts until it's not. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, there's there's a lot of great world building and things that are implied, like you mentioned, seeing the coffins, all of the, the like, infant graves and stuff that, uh, babies that die on the same day they're born, stuff like that. So it's like, we know... We, we know there's something going on here, you know, like the, the guy at the beginning says we don't want what your family left behind. So there's like, OK, this village is cursed somehow. Like they, that's what we, we continue to be told is that it's like cursed. It's like, OK, but give me give me a little bit more ghost stuff if you're going to make it about ghosts. See, I, I thought in the first half it was going to go in the A Village Gone Insane Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. You know, and go that route with, I don't know, with crazy villagers, uh, crazy traditions and practices. Uh, they do a good job of making you very uneasy with the villagers. Yes. So I, I thought they were going to go in and get way over in over their heads due to the insanity of the the location. Yeah, I there were a couple of times where I kind of got like uh almost like Eli Roth Green Inferno kind yeah, of yeah. vibes where it's like uh, okay, there's it's like civilization intruding upon the quote unquote uncivilized and it bites them in the butt. Well, yeah, I'm kind of glad that doesn't happen it, though. It helps that uh their cover story is their their college students doing research on puppets, yeah. puppet shows. Uh, because Kai Samdi, the village elder, he is a renowned puppeteer. Yes, uh, Kisaptadi. Yes, he is. Uh, we don't know much about him uh, for a while, other than the, like he's the village wise man, and that he is. Uh, he travels to do um, like this very specific, like uh, uh, old Indonesian shadow puppetry. So that provides them a very good cover story to not just be like, uh, "Yeah, I think this big fancy house is actually mine, and I want it. And I want it." <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the intrigue with a lot of the villagers and what's going on is good. I almost wish, you know, this ends up being a ghost story. So yeah. if if you're going to go with the ghost story route, maybe sprinkle in some more clues throughout. But, you know, I, I think it works ambiguously in the first half. I just wish 
it wasn't so clunky yeah in, in the second and third act for yeah real. maybe maybe that's maybe that's a better way to to think about it that like the answer is not necessarily to put more ghost stuff in it it's to have the climax match what is happening in the yes. the first part of yes. the movie because i think it does kind of uh become disjointed towards the end in several ways that i'm uh not a big fan of um yeah well we should before we get into that stuff a little more we should talk about the curse itself uh and what it does sure uh just to touch on uh every child that's born is born completely without skin yes and i th- i think the execution of that stuff is really creepy and well done and something yeah. i haven't really seen and a horror movie before you have this horrific birth scene where uh maya is watching through the cracks in the in the wall as this baby is being born and you just get a glance of this horrifying looking baby with without any skin and they they end up drowning the babies because they don't want to make it live through the suffering of living without skin right we see kisop tadi a couple of times he's always there at the birth and when the baby is born he he drowns it in a little uh in a little uh a tub yeah well Um, the the first time you see it they don't show yeah, the you skinned don't, baby, you don't so see the it works baby, well yeah. ambiguously just as well, because you, just, you don't know why he's yeah, doing you know, this. Yeah, you know there's something wrong with the baby, you know, like, you see the parents and his reaction, like, the kind of, uh, um, like, horrified resignation that, you know, once, he, like, their baby is not okay either. Um, so I, I really enjoyed, uh, I, I really enjoyed that stuff. I like, the, I think the curse itself is interesting. It's when we get the backstory for the curse that I think it starts to get really messy. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do want to mention sort of like the, the mid-movie climax, which is, um, uh, Dini's death. Yes. Um, Maya goes off to get them some food, uh, these two guys come to the house and uh, and talk to Dini, and she says they they sort of tell her that like uh, Kisabtadi has the the paperwork for that house and that they're waiting for the daughter of the people who used to live there to come back and claim it, um, and so she Dini says like oh that's me. Um, even though it's actually Maya. And so they take her off, uh, they abduct her in the woods and then, um, sort of like ritually, uh, bleed her out, uh, out in like, a, a an old dilapidated And skin building. her. Yes. And skin her. We don't see the actual skinning. We just see Kisaptadi's creepy old mother, uh, going uh, out behind the house later and hanging up, uh, some flaps of skin on a clothesline. But the first one, I do think it's funny, the first one she hangs up is like her titties. So <laughs> just like, just hanging out some titties to dry on the clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh I I thought that whole sequence was really well done. It was almost hostile esque in a way. Yep. Uh, Once you know, again the Eli Roth and very reminiscent in, you know, tying someone upside down. But I thought that the whole sequence was incredibly tense and well done. And you don't really know why any of this is happening. 
which makes it all the spookier. Right. There's a, they they say that they need to do it quickly because there's two women who could go into labor that night. So we know that this has something to do with how they think that they can break the curse, but uh, why it involves uh, skinning uh, uh, a woman, we don't know until later. Um, Should we start to get into some of that stuff? Sure. Uh, One thing I want to quickly mention, because I'm 100% positive that that stuff will take out take up the brunt of the rest of the conversation yeah one thing i want to mention that i really loved in this movie is the use of music and sound yes, design i loved the score the, the, so the, the music that. was fantastic i particularly loved the score for the puppet show uh with yeah. all of the steel drums and uh, traditional instruments yeah it was very microtonal and not western uh, in its uh, style, and it works super well. Yeah, all the music is really fantastic. You know, you know what what the score kind of reminded me of a little bit is the score for uh, the witch. Yeah, yeah, it has, yeah. It has a lot of kind of like. Um, atonal like wailing, like vocal wailing that uh in creepy scenes like kind of builds and is like added on to like like sort of crescendo up into this into like a peak and they do that shit a lot in the witch and uh i i thought the music in this movie was great one of my favorite aspects of it overall yeah, actually yeah i think i think in a lot of respects the music and the look and style of this movie really elevates it above a low budget ghost story yes (laughs) totally totally uh but yeah let's let's dive into the third act because the brunt of my issues with it are in the third act i think if the movie explains too little in the first half of the movie it goes above and beyond to over explain in the second half too much uh and by over explain I mostly mean it uses very clunky flashback sequences yes. to explain what the curse is, how it happened, why it happened, and all I, of that stuff. I honestly, I find it all a little bit confusing as well. Um, so I think we'll we'll do our best to explain it in at least what we got out of it i i think it's it's too fucking much i i don't it's, it's pretty convoluted it's it's pretty fucking head ass um so maya meets this other woman who she discovers is the wife of the guy who tried to kill her in the city and she explains that maya's father uh, was like the the village elder before Kisop Tadi or whatever, and had this big fancy house and lived there with like his hot wife or whatever. But they couldn't get pregnant, so he made a deal with the devil or something. And so the baby was born without skin, and then he went and killed three little girls and skinned them. And turned their skin into puppets, which then made his own baby grow skin. It's very convoluted. So I think 
they have that explanation, and then they have later in the movie mm. one of the ghosts kind of touches Maya to like give what actually happened, and what it turns that out is, is so long is Kai uh, Sapati. Uh, he uh, impregnated right. the wife, and uh, his mom cast a spell to make him forget about it to make him forget that he had sex with the other with that that was confusing to me yes and and the cursed was placed arguably by her i think i think that is the implication yeah, yeah but it still doesn't change the fact that maya's father who she thought was her father murdered those little girls for their skin and did something with their skin to make her have skin but then also now those little girls are ghosts see that's that's the thing it's like we see the little girls in the woods at the at the beginning when they first get to the village and then it's pretty much forgotten about for a big chunk of the movie yeah. until Maya's like running away and she like gets in she hops in the back of like this dude's truck that she sees and he's like driving down the road and all of a sudden the one of the little girl ghosts is in his his passenger seat and peels off her skin and makes him crash into a tree <laughs> which i found very funny very funny because i had not even been thinking about the little girl ghost for at least the last 45 minutes yeah. to an hour yeah well they'd sprinkle it in just a little bit like at one point a girl runs into the house and says, That's right, yeah. uh, come watch the, the puppet show or whatever before. Or no, she says the, this woman's going into labor. Oh, yeah, come, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. watch the birth. <sighs> yeah, but, that's right. But I, it, it is very clunky. And, uh, and in the flashback, too, like when the ghost, like, lets Maya, like, see what happened, it keeps cutting back from the flash, from the flashback to Maya, like, having a seizure on the side of the road, but they cut back to it so many times that it starts to become funny because it's like, we know that this is a vision she's having because of the ghost. You don't need to keep cutting back to show us that she's having a vision. It's like the flashback is so fucking long. It's like yeah. they, they think we're going to forget about that midway through. And yeah, that did not work for me at all. See, uh, the the way I've read it is the mother convinced the guy who killed the kids to do it because she explained that okay. this is how you lift the curse or whatever, or you, you give your child skin. Yeah, well, then... <laughs> the confusing thing about it, too, is that after, uh, or that, like, at one point, we in the first flashback, we see that her father went crazy and, like, killed a bunch of people, like, all of the musicians and stuff at the puppet show, and then himself. But then in the other flashback, we see that that was actually Kisaptati doing that, that he drugged her dad so he could kill all of those people to make it look and then like made him cut his own throat so that he could make it look like her dad was crazy but he was crazy because he murdered those little girls and skinned them to make puppets what 
Yeah. I'm as I'm trying to explain it, it gets even more confusing <laughs> to me. We like just watched this movie a couple days ago. Yeah, too. And, like, you know, I I think this movie would have been far better if it kept a lot of that obscure. Yes. You know, because I think the biggest fault of this movie is kind of falling on its face trying to explain this hella convoluted uh, third act. Right. It's like if you're gun- if you insist on having all of this stuff stated explicitly in the movie, you gotta do it like throughout the duration of the movie. Yeah. You can't be like super withholding for the the first two acts and then decide to try to explain it all at the end. And then there was the other thing that really disappointed me is that they make reference to one of the babies who is born without skin, they decide to let one of them live and that he now lives out in the woods and is just in constant pain. And then we see him eventually, like the 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 girl who gives Maya all the exposition the first time, like is apparently taking care of him in like this hut out in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so we, like, see him that he's, like, grown now, and he's just, like, lying there without any skin. The effect was really good. It looked like the effect looks good, but then they leave that house and we and he's never mentioned again. Like, I would love I would love for there to be more about like this mysterious child out in the woods who's been like living without skin for the last 20 years. Like that that's that's interesting. But like to mention it once and then to see him once and then to just brush it off. It seems like a lot of work for not a lot of payoff, not a lot of import to the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liked his inclusion, if anything, because the makeup effects were really good. Yeah, and, it was good. Uh, you know, I, I like setting the stakes that if this curse isn't lifted, this is what the village has to deal with if right. they don't kill the kids. Um, but yeah, I, I think it was a little underutilized. And I think overall, they could have avoided... I, I think this... As I mentioned, this is some of the Western influence creeping in. I think especially in the idea beset by the little girls uh, coming to Maya that she can lift the curse. Yes. uh, By burying the skin puppets in the same... Uh, with their bones. Yeah, with yeah. their bones. Which she knows from the flashback are in the basement of the big house. Yeah. I thought that kind of tied things up a little too cleanly. And, well. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. And it kind of tied that element up too cleanly only to undo itself in a bit of a sloppy way. Yes. In that uh, after that, we have a confrontation with Kai Sapati and uh, Maya where, you know, he's planning on killing her to skin her to yep. try to lift the curse or what he thinks is the curse and uh she reveals that he's her father 
And, and that his mother was the one who, uh, like, put the place the curse on the village or whatever. And his mom, like, puts a, a knife to her own throat and is like, it's either me or her. You either kill her and finish this or I'm going to kill myself. And then, like, one of the... Uh, one of the other villagers runs in and is like, the baby was just born and it's healthy and normal. So like Maya's like, yeah, I told you I lifted the curse. And then Kisop Tadi cuts his own throat for yeah. reasons. Well, earlier on in the movie, the, the, the woman that's helping Maya threatened to cut her own throat to haunt the, the villagers that were, Right. Uh, you know, threatening to rape her or whatever, being right, really yeah. rapey and creepy. I'll kill myself and, and then be, come back as a so ghost. So I, I read that as him trying, trying to become to, a ghost? Trying to haunt his mother. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Well, for what, you know, she did. As revenge. But then she just immediately goes over to his body and picks up the knife and then cuts her throat. Yeah, well, the the other thing mentioned with the character that's helping Maya is yeah. curses cannot be lifted. They can only be transferred. Yeah, they, they, they don't go away. They can only change yeah. something, something like that. So um, it's still sloppy in its execution, but I think that element helps a little bit in that, you know, the, the curse of the babies was lifted and then Kaisapati tries to haunt the mother to, you know, curse her and then she kills herself and ends up cursing the village once again. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that. Um because I, I agree with you. I think that, that that little bit of dialogue about, like, changing curses does give an explanation for the very end of the movie. But I think it's still done in such a kind of dumb way that it's funnier than it is scary. First, we should mention that, uh, or I did want to mention, as uh, after the confrontation with uh, Ki Saptadi, uh Maya runs out of the village uh, like as the sun is rising and just like Texas Chainsaw Massacre hops into the back of some dude's pickup truck and drives away down the road like laughing and screaming triumphantly because she's gotten away uh, so yet another little Texas Chainsaw nod but instead of just uh, tastefully cutting to credits there um, they we, gotta cut to one, one year, year later one year later we see that the village uh, seems to be doing better. Uh, the it, it certainly looks better taken care of. There's people. It looks like it, it has some commerce. Everything's cool. We see a uh, uh, um, a woman, a pregnant woman, and her husband in their house, and you know, talking about the baby or whatever. Uh, she goes outside uh, to do something, and she's like looking in a mirror. And then we see the ghost of uh, Ki Saptadi's mother behind her and cut to inside the house and we hear her screaming and the husband runs outside and she's like sitting on the ground like covered in blood and it goes to the mirror and it's just Ki Saptadi's mother like shoveling handfuls of like baby into her mouth. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> <laughs> Like what? 
he learned what Choco Anwar learned that you gotta have a a, a last uh, last scene stinger in your horror movie to make people remember it. Yeah, and he just That's went about American it too, yeah. <laughs> in the, the the weirdest way. Like usually, those things are so badly handled anyway, and it's like, yeah, this was no different. It's just like, okay, the curse has changed now. But why is it only just now happening a year later? Why does it still have to do with babies? Why is the ghost of Kisop Tati's mother eating babies? Like, what? I don't know. Maybe they're setting up for um, this to be Indonesia's uh, The Conjuring franchise. So we're going to get Impedigore 2 um, and then spin Im- and spinoffs. Impedigorier. Impedigorier. Uh, and then when the, by the time they get around to the fourth one, they can just call it Impedifor. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that's pretty much everything I have. Do you want to rate? Do you have? Yeah, I, I think about? I'm pretty much good to rate. Okay, I, you go first. While I definitely have problems with the over-explaining, I was hooked in the first half of the movie, and I think it's really well done. You know, stylistically, it looks really good. Uh, a lot of the camera movements are really interesting and creative. I love, for example, when Deanie's tied up and they do that really slick rotating shot. Love that. Yeah, and I think the music is great. I think, once again, this is a really interesting movie in that it kind of merges uh, Indonesian culture and folklore with American horror sensibilities, and it's a it's a genre film through and through. Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half. I definitely think it's worth checking out if you're even modestly interested. Um, yeah, I'm pretty much right along those same lines. I think this movie does a lot right. I think uh, in terms of atmosphere, it's very successful. Uh, it's very cleanly made. Um, looks great. Sounds great. Uh, the acting is solid across the board. I enjoyed all the performances. Uh, I think it gets really lost up its own ass in the third act. Um, very much so to its detriment. Um, but it's, it's definitely interesting to see what like really popular, successful horror in Indonesia looks like. Cause it's, it's a film industry that I do not have any real knowledge of whatsoever. So, uh, I, it was really nice to get a foray into that. I'm also going to give it a three and a half out of five. I think that that's pretty perfect. Definitely worth checking out, but, uh, certainly not without its problems. Yeah. And I'm interested in seeing what Choco Anwar does next. I would be curious uh, to see like uh, some of his other stuff. Like I know he's done other horror. Or, yeah. Like he's done said, quite uh, a bit. Satan slaves. Or um, whatever. and, um, I hope in the future he continues being inspired by the witch in Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. and less by uh, the Conjuring. Yes, yes. <laughs> choose your uh, choose your references wisely for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, that will give Impedigore an average of uh, a unanimous actually uh, three point five out of five pods. Um, so yeah, check it out. 
Uh, next week, it's my pick again, and uh, I'm going to be choosing another 2020 film, one that uh, has made quite a little bit of buzz. Also uh, a Shudder exclusive. Also a Shudder exclusive. Um, it, I saw that it was uh, briefly the number one film on Letterboxd. Uh, that's really what put it onto my radar. I'm talking, of course, about the uh new zoom horror film host uh which uh i don't know a whole lot about other than that it's a uh, a zoom call seance and i think for uh for the times we're living in and the prevalence of uh having to connect with your friends and family via video calling uh it's the perfect time for a movie like this and i want to know the buzz i know you've already seen it yes well i'm not gonna say too much but it uh one cool thing is it was shot completely in quarantine um one of the only films to be shot completely under quarantine um so i think this is a trendsetter in some ways maybe and i'm super excited to talk about it yeah i'm very curious and excited so uh if you have shutter uh check it out before next week uh i i guess and uh or if you can get access to it otherwise um, There's some coupons online if you want to get a month of Shutter free. I don't have the code on me, but <laughs> nice. Um, hell yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I guess that will uh, bring us to the end of this week's episode. Um, I'm afraid to go near the sponsor shelf because I don't want to end up like Cleveland. Get the amulet, we people. Have, <laughs> we need somebody to get the amulet uh, so we can get our boy back. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you like the show, share an episode with somebody, leave us five stars on Apple Podcasts, write us a nice review. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod. Check out our letterbox at letterbox.com slash PodPeoplePod for a complete list of the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. Uh, I'm on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. And uh, Cleveland is tweeting for LightArc Studio from within the depths of the sponsor shelf. Uh, we're still working on the next chapter of It Stares Back. Still available in early access on Steam. You can get the prologue and play the first six levels now. It's about two, three hours of content. Check it out. It's spooky and fun. And uh, Cleveland's art station and all that. He seems pretty busy uh, in the sponsor shelf, but... You know, maybe he can uh, paint you a picture or something. So uh, check him out uh, at Cleveland Mosier on ArtStation. Um, but uh, yeah, that should about do it. Do it for us this week. Join us next week via Zoom to <laughs> as we talk about uh, the new horror film host. Um, so until next time, keep your skin on. <laughs> <laughs>